0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Capital Outlook from Wyoming PBS. Capital Outlook is a weekly show broadcast whenever the Wyoming legislature is in session from Cheyenne. To learn more, visit us at wyomingpbs.org. Welcome to Capital Outlook on Wyoming PBS. From Wyoming's capital here in Cheyenne, I'm Craig Blumenschein. This week education is front and center in both the House and the Senate, K-12 education that is, and we're gonna spend a lot of time this evening visiting about that topic. We're gonna start the discussion with Senator RJ Cost. He's a 40 plus year educator here in the state of Wyoming, spent a lot of time um, teaching and also being an administrator in Park County, and he has interesting insight into the discussion. We'll continue talking about education with leadership in the Wyoming Legislature, Speaker of the House, Eric Barlow, and this week, the Majority Floor Leader of the Senate, Senator Ogden Driscoll. Senator Jeff Wasserberger from Campbell County is our Capital Outlook profile. And we'll end tonight with a discussion with two members of the minority party. That's Representative Andy Schwartz and Representative Mike Yin. All that follows on Capital Outlook, which starts now.
1: This program is supported in part by a grant from the BNSF Railway Foundation, dedicated to improving the general welfare and quality of life in communities throughout the BNSF Railway service area. Proud to support Wyoming PBS.
0: This program was funded in part by a grant from Newman's Own Foundation. Working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food and beverage products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. By a grant from AARP, serving the needs and providing real possibilities for the over 50 population in Wyoming. AARP Wyoming,
2: proud to support Wyoming PBS. Programming on Wyoming PBS is brought to you in part by Wyoming Humanities. Strengthening Wyoming democracy through the humanities for 50 years, thinkwy.org. Proud to support Wyoming PBS. And as we begin
0: this week of Capital Outlook, it's our pleasure to be joined by Senator RJ Cost. Senator, welcome and thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you, it's my pleasure.
0: We wanna continue our discussion about education and it's a, you're in a unique place, I feel. 43 year veteran of educating in Wyoming. You were a teacher, first in Dubois, longtime teacher in Powell, Powell. then you became an administrator. You also served on the um, recalibration committee over the, over, the last, uh, over the interim here. So I think that your perspective is one that, that's pretty unique. You told me that you have um, some concerns and wanna correct a few misconceptions that are out there, and I'd like to start there first. What are some misconceptions that are really um, on your mind? Well,
3: a couple of misconceptions I have are, first of all, the performance of our schools. Uh, When you look at the facts out there about the NAEP, and the NAEP, of course, is the National Assessment, uh, we have increasingly climbed through the years, and when you look at the number, uh, it was said the other day on the floor, uh, 73, of our kids are basic or better. And, and would you really want that? Well, they didn't say better, they said 73% of our kids are basic. And the bottom line is it's 73% of our kids are basic and above. And yeah, that doesn't look real impressive if you look at the number 73 as possibly a D in some grading situation. But if you look at the highest score, which at that time was a different state at 75, Two points between the top score and our score is certainly not anything that's saying uh, we're bad. We've moved up uh, at one point, we were 25th in the ranking, and then we've moved up in the fourth grade. We've also moved up in the eighth grade. They don't take the test at our high school level, so it's not uh, given there. We have the ACT for our juniors. We are in the group of... Uh, states that required of all of them. And so that score can be compared and see how we're doing there. Uh, The important thing to think about is money doesn't equal performance. And so in our education system, we have to understand that the money that we're being paid doesn't guarantee you're gonna be 100% of your kids proficient. The money only guarantees that we have the ability to get quality teachers in here that can teach our kids and that has proven very effective. At the same time, when we look at poverty level and the different challenges that teachers have, it's not as easy as just saying, well, we should be at the top. The bottom line is there's a lot more to it and it's a very complex structure that we've got to work on.
0: It it's certainly is, Senator, but then you wrap around this fiscal challenge, this $300 million a year projected budget shortfall for K-12. Money isn't the big answer, but there have, has to be some cuts, and others have advocated there also has to be some revenues. So where do you see Wyoming ending up here? Um, it's It's right on your plate right now.
3: It is, and we have to get it under control, and I have not been averse to cuts, we need to make cuts. When you hand somebody uh, a pot of gold and then you say, I wanna take it away, it's pretty difficult to get them to just openly say, oh yeah, sure, take this. But on the other hand, the important part is, we can make some cuts. We have to be aware of two things that are really important. Number one, our students in this state are very important and so we've gotta make sure that we don't adversely affect their education to where they're not going to be successful. I don't think we're gonna do that with most of the uh, things that we've talked about. Not all of them, there's some things out there that could be detrimental. And then we need to have good quality teachers and we need to have longevity of those teachers so that they can be in the systems and create the continuity of growth for our district. If we would look to pay for our teachers where they are and get rid of the ghost teachers as far as that supplementary that helped the school districts be able to make the different salaries, it would make a difference. Um, Is it gonna make a lot? You know, the numbers are hard to tell because, you have gotta see what the results are before you really know. And, and so from this point saying, well, it looks to be, and then from the other side, when you actually have the ones that you're actually paying and here's what it actually is, becomes two different stories. So we need to make the cuts. We need to find good places to make cuts. The insurance that's being paid can trim back to the ones that use it we can trim back the ghost teachers and say, okay, let's make sure we're paying our teachers a fair salary.
0: What are the administrators and school board members telling you? I'm guessing your inbox has had more than one or two emails about this issue. Are they saying that, you know, we've come to depend on this money for A, B, and C, and now you might cut that money. It's gonna impact our kids.
3: Well, the first thing that you're gonna hear is it's gonna impact our kids and you know there's an argument to be had uh it doesn't matter whether you're talking about a custodian a groundskeeper a bus driver a teacher or a principal they all are instrumental to the success of our kids because you never know which kid one of them may have talked to that gave them a boost or gave them encouragement to keep going so That's true, but where's the biggest impact of our kids? We know that teachers have the biggest impact and then principals are next. So it's important to make sure that we have good solid leadership to lead our teachers and then good teachers that are gonna perform. Uh, A lot of our school districts, because of the situation with ghost teachers and trying to create some more money flexibility, have chosen to go with a little higher class numbers. At one time that was a waiver you had to apply for and then it was done away with. Uh, We're still paying right now at the levels that were set from previous years. When you bump that level up, that removes obviously some of the teachers, but where it hits more than anywhere else is our large schools because our smaller schools just don't have that many. So that that becomes a real critical issue. And uh, we've gotta look at that as well. The block grant is a real complex structure and trying to get a a better understanding of the whole thing is extremely difficult. And I don't wanna say that with the idea that it can't be understood because it can. But at the same time, trying to figure out what that means for each of the different districts in our state becomes a real challenge. And small schools have to have some importance because if we don't have small schools, we don't have those small communities. And those communities are just as important to those areas as the large schools are to the large areas. The most important thing for me is this is not a district-created problem legislator created the problem when we funded it the way we did. And so it's as much what we did because the school districts are not breaking any rules, they're not breaking any of the uh, conditions of the block grant, they're using the block grant in the best way that meets the needs for their district. And I think that's important to understand. Mm -hmm. So to criticize the school districts for that is really rather difficult, but at the same time, trying to cut that back becomes a challenge. And we all have to find a way to do that. And the legislature needs to say, okay, we understand where we were and now we've got to move back. At the same time, I think if we work together, the school districts can work with us to make a a compatible solution to this. So
0: we have to then maybe talk about revenue sometime. If you want to have a sustainable discussion about K-12 funding, what is your view on the need to have these revenue discussions sooner? Maybe a year or two from now or down the road? Where are
3: you at there? To be honest with you, I really feel like it's pretty difficult for us to stand here and say, we need to cut, we need to cut, and never look at the other side. And I'm I'm not a fan of taxes, but at the same time, we need to seriously take a look at taxes. When we have a beer tax that hasn't been touched since 1937, we probably need to say, maybe it's time to look at that a little bit. Uh, But at the same time, just taxing to tax is not the best answer. And I'm not in favor of that. It's gotta be uh, reasonable. I think it's gotta make sure that we're not hitting our people in the hard, most difficult ways. Uh, Things such as the corporate tax and a few of those things could be put in that would not affect us as much and still start bringing some revenue in. If we're asking the districts to cut, which we are, that's okay. But at the same time, if we're not looking at the other side and trying to say, okay, together these two need to kind of merge to get to a, a reasonable spot, I, I don't feel like we're doing justice to both sides.
0: Before we turn away from education quickly is consolidation a good idea? You're in a county that has multiple school
3: districts. No, consolidation isn't a good idea. We're not gonna, we're not gonna save the kind of money that we need to save compared to what it's gonna do to communities and what it's gonna do to districts. Uh, putting a single administrative group, a central administrative group to each county or whatever which has been talked about would maybe be seven million dollars. But when you start looking at, okay, how do you deal with, uh, if you wanna take three schools and one school is the highest paid and another school's middle to that and another school's the lowest paid, if they're all in the same district, do you pay the highest to all of them? Do you pay the middle to all of them and cut some and raise some? Do you pay the lowest and cut both? There's a lot of unanswered questions there that you really don't know where those are gonna go. So. In the end, I'm pretty confident that that seven million is going to end up being much less than that. And for in say what you're talking about. Yeah, right. and, and it's just not going to be of any value.
0: I want to turn the page and talk about Medicaid expansion. <clears throat> you are in a unique position, also, I think, to bring some um, quality <clears throat> discussion to the table. You are currently the pre- president of Powell Valley Powell Valley Healthcare. You've been a longtime member of the board of trustees. Um, you've been through some tough times and some good times with Powell's Hospital, if you will. Is now the right time for Medicaid expansion in Wyoming?
3: I tried supporting it last year, excuse me, and it wasn't quite as effective as uh, I was hoping it would be. I I firmly believe that we need to look at Medicaid expansion. Uh, There's a misconception out there with Medicaid expansion that a lot of people are just gonna, quit paying their insurance and get on Medicaid expansion. And that's really not true. This is a group of people in the middle between Medicaid and paid insurance that don't have the funds to be able to get to insurance, but at the same time, their jobs only pay a max amount. So they have to make a decision. Do I pay for food or do I pay for insurance? And that's a pretty easy decision.
0: And what about on the provider side? Have you been able to analyze um, what this might mean to smaller rural
3: Healthcare centers, our critical access hospitals, which most in the state are, uh, would have a definite gain. Currently, we write up, we're writing off anywhere from uh, sometimes maybe 150,000 up to 350 to 400,000 per month on the lost income that we can't collect. This is just in PAL. That's just in PAL, mm-hmm. And so when you start talking about that kind of money that you have to write off, and if it would fit, it, if the Medicaid expansion steps into that, it's definitely gonna help the bottom line for those hospitals. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna, we wanna look at it in a larger, situation than just the hospitals because the healthier your community is the healthier they're going to be towards different jobs towards bettering themselves and making a better life for themselves so we're not only helping the hospital with some economy we're helping the economy of the state because these people are going to be more productive in the state they're going to have a different outlook on what they can do to maybe move up so There's a lot of wins to it. If you look at some of the surrounding states such as Montana and a few of the others, they've had a substantial growth in the amount of money that they've been able to bring in because of that. This year with the possibility of using COVID money to help cover that would mean the state wouldn't be out much money at all compared to what it would have been in the past. Well,
0: that Medicaid expansion bill is on general file in the Senate, we'll see when it might surface. Perhaps that might be sometime next week.
3: Could be and that would be great to be able to talk about.
0: Well, Senator Cost, it's been a pleasure. Um, Thank you so much for joining us on Capital Outlook.
3: Well, thank you very much, I've enjoyed it.
0: We wanna continue on now with our weekly discussion with the leadership of the Wyoming legislature, that's next, stay with us. And as we continue on with this Capital Outlook, we're joined by leadership of the Wyoming Legislature, Speaker of the House, Dr. Eric Barlow, and Majority Floor Leader of the Senate, Senator Ogden Driscoll, to you both welcome. And Senator Driscoll, thanks for pitching in today. We appreciate having you on on the show again, welcome back. Um, Mr. Speaker, I wanna start with you. Yesterday, um, in second reading of, of the House Education Bill, you started the day around $31 million, give or take or so, of cuts in the bill, and 12 amendments later, where are you, and then we're gonna talk about where this might be going. We, we talked earlier in the show to Senator RJ Cost, um, relative to education issues, now we're talking nuts and bolts with the bill. Where are we?
1: So 173, House Bill 173 is the bill, and the second reading, as you mentioned, is yesterday it was actually 12 amendments, but one of them got divided five times, so <laughs> now we're at 17 amendments. Um, and, and truly, when I left the building yesterday, um, they were still trying to figure out, one, what we kind of did in total, because we did several things. We capped revenue. We brought in, uh, took off a tax exemption for a particular industry, and brought that toward the school foundation program. So there was m- multiple moving parts. Um, I think we're probably in that 60 60 to seventy million dollar range for uh, net, if you will, net net, um, both revenue coming in and, or additional revenue and cuts, um, but quite honestly, they were still working on it. The other thing they're working on is how it affects each district. Because when you start getting into the components of the funding model, adjusting, you know, um, Tutors, um, Tutor. all, all those program. different things, it affects different districts differently. And so that's, the, that's what people will look at today and say, okay, how big a hit did my district take? And that's when people start saying, oh, uh, maybe, maybe that wasn't the right, you know, f- this isn't the right formula, let's try another one and see how that turns out. Um, So those are the little tweaks that can make a significant difference depending on what district you're in.
0: And before we go to the Senate side here, the majority floor leader said yesterday, he said, look, you know, we start with with, uh, $30 million in cuts, brought in 10 million bucks a year. I can maybe go to 60 million or so in cuts, but I'm not going above that. Um, 100 million would be too much for him is what he was saying, and I'm paraphrasing. Is there a number in your mind, Mr. Speaker, that, that the House needs to center on Um, at least this year to move forward?
1: Um, There isn't, I don't have a number in mind. I think that the the House has been basically the bill, if you look at the bill that we have, of course we can have revenue in our bill. Our Senate colleagues can't initiate a revenue. So we can have revenue, so that's one component, one leg on that stool. Second one is diversions. We have current um, revenues, uh, flows of funds that we can adjust you know, modify uh, um, and affect our paper deficit, as you'll hear uh, former Speaker Harshman talk about. And the third thing is what the program is, what we're actually going to fund and what the cost of that is funding. So the House is, I think that what you're seeing from the House is we're trying to look at those three components and how they fit together. Um, That makes a lot of moving parts. Now, so for me, there isn't a number. What there is is adequate, equitable, and defensible educational program when we get to the end. That's what I'm looking for. Three things, adequate, equitable, and then defensible, both to the public and to our constituents, but also if somebody wants to take it it to the uh, judiciary.
0: This majority floor leader, the Senate side, I know you've been keeping an eye on what the House is doing as well.
4: I followed it closely and you can't lay it out much better than Speaker Barlow did. Uh, that particularly the tail end of his statement is truly there, is how how do we fairly do this? We know we have a structural problem in education, and how do we get a handle on it? And for me, I saw in this session, the first time, in my opinion, the House is really looking at it and saying, we're looking hard for solutions, and we realize part of those are going to be some cuts. And and I'm seeing that, and I'm I'm really happy about it, because I think it's the Path to get Wyoming f- as a whole budget, not not just education, but the whole budget, where we can balance it out and we can start talking about how we diversify our economy and go on for it. And you know, our, our revenues are picking up, so it's not quite the the crisis it was, but it's really serious discussions about how do we meet in the middle on this and do the best we can and have the best education we can.
0: How do you two vision this moving forward? in the coming days and weeks. The House has its bill, it's different from the Senate's bill. Senate's bill is gonna come over to the House side if it passes on third reading, the House bill is gonna go over to the Senate side if it passes on third reading, but they're different in, their, in, their, in, their, in the cuts, and then there's that revenue piece in the House bill that you're gonna to have to talk about. How do you see this going forward, Mr. Speaker? Let's talk to you first.
1: Well, going forward, we just got to get through third reading on the House side. I mean, bottom line is we're, there's a lot of discussion. And if you watched the debate yesterday, a lot of those amendments that came on were 31 votes or 28. Yeah, very close. One way or the other. Yep. I mean, some didn't get adopted, and it was very close, and the other, other side. Now, some were, were wider margins, and that's fine. But a lot of the really, you know, the ones that, yeah, the ones that were more challenging, they were close. And so now we've got a bill that really displeases probably three different groups in some way. Folks that don't want any revenue in the bill, they're displeased. Folks that don't want the diversions, they're displeased. Folks that don't want to adjust the educational program, they have uh, reservations. So now we've got to get those three folks. And the bottom line for me is, do you want us to continue to have a conversation or not? Do you want to continue this conversation or not? Because if we don't have 31 votes on third reading, which likely will be today, our conversation or our ability to engage the conversation goes away. And then if the Senate kicks something our way, then we take up whatever they Whatever they provide, and they'll do the same. I would hope for us. Now, do we double up? Do we each consider each other's bill? I think that would be a discussion that leadership would have and say, "Let's pick one. Let's focus on one. The other body focus on this. You know, and then we can go to a conference committee, hopefully on one bill. You know, we're, we're getting to, the, as you know, we're getting to the end of committee. of The whole House of Origin. It's next Monday, based on our current schedule. So, you know, we don't we don't have lots of extra time after that to. And you know, we're at day 20. Yep, t- day 21 today of our session. Um, so there's only really two weeks of work left. I
0: wanna to talk to you just a moment about the impact of not having two days this week to, to do your work, uh, Mr. Majority Floor Leader. Is that kinda of how you th- see things progressing here?
4: Absolutely, yeah. there'll, there'll be a bill, I think. Where we're at a point, one bill will come from both sides very likely unless they die. And what Speaker Barlow said is very true. Our side's the same as, you know, our bill's a, a pretty robust bill and it's, Got a lot of unease on it. It's it's hard to do this. We're going to lose jobs in our hometowns. We all know it. Uh, Speaker Barlow was correct. Everybody pulls the sheet out, looks what it does to your local districts. Uh, you know, our bills got some districts get hit 20%. There's got to be a way to fix that within those bills. And that's, that's going to get worked on because th- there is no way, and none of the legislature, I believe, wants draconian cuts on our schools. Uh, you know, I visited at length with my people, and... You know, particularly these rural districts, yeah. like where D- I'm it's at. such a Ten different dynamic
0: right here at this table. Small districts, large district, um, within within your um, purview. Of and your they hit them di- very much mm-hmm. differently.
4: Uh, small districts, in my opinion, I think they're very honest with me. Really can't take lots more. They're they're stressed where they're at. So you know, we're going to have to figure out how we make provisions and still fall under the court rulings and under what we have for budget. So. education is pricey at small schools and that's one of the hard arguments we're having do you do you continue to have 30 and 40 person 50 person high schools is they're hard to hard to really justify if you're gonna bring a paring knife out so tough decisions and they've been there for uh, almost since I've been in we've been having the same discussion now it's it's really come to the place everybody's serious and I do think we're gonna hit good solutions, one of those bills will be the vehicle and we're gonna come out with something that's reasonably substantial in my opinion. Last word on education, Mr. Speaker.
1: Yeah, it's challenging and this this dynamic of larger districts, they have more capacity, they can absorb and move things around. Small districts actually is my biggest concern and I do represent part of Converse County, which is a medium sized district, if you will, and, and they, they, they probably, um, you can be as nimble as anybody, small district, you start pairing back resources, flat out resources, it's a challenge. Bigger districts has more latitude. So that's when that you look at, those, look at those spreadsheets and you see what it does to different districts and
0: it's a challenge,
1: really a challenge.
0: Senator Cost said earlier, and I think it's something that, that, that is often lost, is that the school districts didn't make this issue. The legislature made the funding model and now the legislature needs to fix this. Um, coming down the road. So I think that's, um, it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out.
4: I think that's that's correct to a certain degree, but they're block granted and they've got flexibility. So some of it, it's it's hand in hand. And that's gonna be part of what this is, is how do we really determine who who does it and how do we do it efficiently? So it really is, let's not point at each other. Let's hold hands and say, how, how do we figure out to work together to get a solution?
0: I wanna ask you how the weather in Cheyenne now is gonna impact the, what happens in the legislature moving forward. You lost two days, Monday and Tuesday of, of, of this week um, because this town was paralyzed because of the, the amount of snow that it got and just, just kind of getting away from that right now. Any change in the schedule? Um, you delayed some deadlines. Is the legislature still gonna likely adjourn April 2nd? Do we know?
1: So I think that the, the two days we lo- aren't lost as legislative days; they were just lost within the week of work. Right. Um, I think the discussion right now between leaderships, uh, Senate House, is: do we make it up one day on a Saturday, and maybe one day in April, or two days, you know, tacked on to the end um, to see? It's not going to be this coming Saturday because I think a lot of us that didn't get home this past weekend want to go home. Um, but I think we will. We will use those days. They will. They will come in at some point. Um, I, I just. We just haven't. Kind of settled on we're where. Probably we are.
0: Slightly I told your colleagues track. yesterday. Yeah, at the end of the day, that you're looking at a Saturday at least.
4: We, without a doubt, will have a Saturday. Mm-hmm. But what I told our body, which we haven't talked with House leadership, we're going to tack an hour a day on every day here on out, and hopefully do one more Saturday. We, we've actually made a, a, a really hard effort this year to be done fairly early in the day, so everybody can be sharp. We've been trying to quit around five thirty to six. We're gonna tack an hour on that every day. Guys need to go to bed earlier, but it's gonna buy them a Saturday back down the road. Real quickly, um,
0: I-80 tolling was on the floor of the Senate this week. Um, uh, The Senate moved forward as I understand it uh, in committee of the whole, an idea to look at the process, um, have approval to have that process looked at to potentially maybe three or four years down the road then have a solution maybe to provide funding for a highway that supports 24% of Wyoming's traffic. You talked about that quite a bit on the floor yesterday.
4: Absolutely interesting, I-80 tolling's been up almost every year since I've been in the legislature. It's failed, it's one of those bills that just goes away. We've had some change in federal law that it allows a, a different model on it. Uh, you know, Like say a quarter of the traffic in Wyoming goes down I-80, 7,000 cars a day, but it's equaled by 7,000 trucks a day. Truck
0: sandwich was my favorite quote of
4: the day yesterday. Uh, 80% of that truck traffic does not stop other than to buy fuel in Wyoming. And basically the debate yesterday was every county in the state, when you fuel your trucks or cars up, you're paying for maintenance on I-80. Do you want to continue to pay that? Or do you want to go to a user type fee that's actually the people using it and get that other money back out into the counties where we can get our roads where they're they're not deteriorating in better shape and it was a compelling argument yesterday yeah. and it also was not let's do it, it was let's pull a study out and look at the actual economic impacts so we can have a an honest debate on do we wanna look at toll roads in Wyoming and what are their impacts? And the feds now are letting, we may be able to have it where the people that live down there run pretty much toll free and for the rest of us, if you're using it's a use tax. Yeah. Uh, Once again, same as education, with the advent of uh, low carbon cars, better gas mileage, we just don't have the budgets in Wyoming to keep our highways. We're searching for ways to to make everything work on the the best low impact solutions we can find, and this is one to look at.
0: Mr. Majority Floor Leader, again, thanks for joining us today, we really appreciate it. Always great to speak with you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Craig. We'll turn now our attention to the Capital Outlook Outlook profile this week with Senator Jeff Wasserberger. That's next. Stay with us. And as we continue on with this week's Capital Outlook, it's time for our Capital Outlook profile with Senator Jeff Wasserberger from Gillette. Senator, welcome, and thank you for t- spending time with us today. Well, thanks for having
5: me, Craig. I've always enjoyed the PBS shows and documentaries, and uh, over the years, I've watched some great stuff that you guys have done, and, and I've always been a bit of a historian after teaching American history for 16 years. I've enjoyed Wyoming history, and so Wyoming history is really kind of <laughs> neat stuff sometimes, and, And you guys have done a wonderful job showing all all of that.
0: Well, thank you, thank you so much, I appreciate it. Senator, if if my math is right, you are now the third on the totem pole, the third longest serving legislator in the Wyoming Senate, is that correct?
5: That is, um, actually with the retirement of Senator Bebout and Senator Coe, I bumped up a few years, Um, but you're actually adding the years I had in the House, which was 12, And now I'm on year seven in the Senate. So relatively a new senator still, but uh, I've been involved in the legislative process for a long time. And one of the things that happened many, many years ago when I first ran for the legislature in 1994, I was elected. And in 1995, I was sworn in. I was the youngest legislator in Wyoming for 10 years. And I was like, 36 at the time, and now I wouldn't even be in the top five. There's there's lots of young people over in the House and even in our Senate that are younger than I was. And so uh, it's really neat that we have that influence of young people in our legislature and that they are outstanding legislators in their own right. Uh, they've done extremely well. And so eventually, I think in 2007, I retired from the House because I had promised term limits and um, I was at 12 years and so that was my term limit. That didn't mean I couldn't step out <clears throat> and then run again like I have for the Senate, but I have already told my constituents that I don't believe that I will serve past uh, 12 years in the Senate. So that's kind of where I'm at and, and um, I've been around long,
0: time. Long tenure of service. Okay, so I'm looking at the roster now. And I see Wasselberger down there at the very bottom. You get a vote last all the time. Is that a, is that a blessing or, or a curse? How does that work?
5: Well, that's a really great, great question. You're very observant because um, I, I do pay attention to my vote count many times. And um, there has been numerous times in the last seven years where uh, literally I know where the president of the, uh, the Senate is going to vote. And he votes after me. So typically, yeah, I'm the last vote. Uh, and five or six times during the session, uh, my vote has been the 16th vote uh, or the 15th vote, knowing that this, the president is going to push it over the top. So it, it's really kind of a difficult spot to be in. But it's also a fun spot to be in, depending on how you look at it. You know, And I think the other one uh, that is very difficult is the very first vote. And uh, that is uh, Jim Anderson out of uh, Castle. <clears throat>
0: yeah, I, there's, there's two sides to that coin, isn't there? You were, you were Senator born in Lusk. You were, you're a tiger at heart. Is that right? Well, I am a tiger.
5: And uh, yesterday we celebrated 50 years of uh, my wrestling coach, coaching wrestling at the state wrestling tournament. And uh, actually a, a town in my uh, district, Wright won the state 2A wrestling championships and actually upset uh, Moorcroft who had won, I believe seven or eight in a row. And so that was a big accomplishment for Wright. And so I'd like to compliment the people of Wright and the, and the wrestlers in Wright for doing such a great job at state wrestling and the, today is 3A and tomorrow is 4A.
0: And I should remind our viewers, we're filming this in front of the legislative session so that we can actually read and see how everybody did. Little Lusk, Lusk history there. Uh, Ron Thon, who um, was a tremendous um, teacher, wrestling coach, et cetera, in, in in the Riverton area, and for which the largest tournament in Wyoming is named after, is also a Lusk alumni. So there you go. Before he wrestled at Nebraska.
5: And I coached against Ron. I knew Ron very well. I went to his folks' house in Lusk many, many times when I was a boy. I knew who Ron Thon was. I idolized him as a little kindergartner watching him wrestle in Lusk and uh, might be one of the nicest men ever to live the state of Wyoming and just a phenomenal guidance counselor.
0: Yep, He was a dear friend of mine. I miss him dearly. A wonderful person. Um, Your daughter had an interesting a little bit of history with COVID and the vaccine. Um, We thought she might've been first, but I think I've learned now from you that she was actually the second person in Wyoming to get the vaccine.
5: Yeah, and she, um, Haley, my daughter, uh, graduated from the University of Wyoming with a nursing degree and She went into nursing last year. She earned her master's degree. She moved to Cheyenne and was working in the ICU unit with COVID patients all summer long. And so uh, she was one of the most at risk uh, in the state of Wyoming. And when the very first vaccine came to Cheyenne, uh, she was asked to be a part of a press conference where Governor Gordon actually came and they came in and doctors, nurses, and other people within uh, Cheyenne Regional Hospital were given shots. And there was one person who could not make the meeting that day. And so she was actually shot at about 10 o'clock in the morning. And then Haley was the second, second shot in our state. But right now she has moved to Minnesota and she is attending the she wants to be a certified nurse anesthetist, a CRNA is what mm-hmm. it's called, which is essentially like a, a physician's assistant or nurse practitioner.
0: Well, we wish her well with, with that. So back to your teaching, you were a coach and you have told me you've, you coached football, you've coached wrestling and, and baseball. Um, what type of coach were you? Were you a screamer or were you a little more laid back or how did that work for you on the sidelines there?
5: Well, I. I'm pretty known for my, how loud my voice was.
0: Okay. Okay.
5: (laughs) I had great teams and I had great kids. Uh, you know, we won the the very first wrestling state championship in Gillette in 1993. And then again in 95, um, you know, in baseball, uh, my kids ended up winning three state championships in baseball, uh, you know, we never ever won it in football when I was coaching football, but we got to the title game twice, and and uh, I let Coach Harshman put it to me that particular. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. We'll have to have a. Our... The game was actually at Natrona too, so.
0: Well, well, the home field advantage was his big advantage there. We'll 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 say that for him. Senator, I wanna visit with you about something personal, if you don't mind. Okay. Um, you, you've had cancer and I think it has been publicly known um, that you've been battling cancer for some time. You've been part of a clinical trial and you're, you're still battling that today. Give us an update and, and tell us how you're doing.
5: Well, um, it's very interesting. Um, well, it's very interesting to me, obviously, but um, you know, I was having some problems breathing in the last political campaign, and I was out setting up my campaign signs, and um, you know, I passed out, <clears throat> and I was having trouble um, breathing. And essentially, what was happening was my heart was having difficulty pushing blood over to the lungs. So it was it was just really uh, a difficult time. And finally, um, they thought it was my heart. Doctors did early, but They finally sent me to um, they did a a CT scan here in Gillette at Campbell County Memorial Hospital. And they they found about a golf ball size uh, mass in my right lower third lung and lobe. And so uh, we went to Denver. Uh, we went to the University of uh, Colorado Anschutz, and shoots, um, and at that point, they operated on my right lung and removed a third of it, actually. Mm. And they were unable to um, take the mass out because it was attached to uh, the lung wall. So at that point in time, we've had all kinds of uh, research um, that... Uh, these doctors have done for several years now, probably 10 and it's all immune called immunotherapy. Essentially what it does is um, they have what's called DNA markers. There's four of them and my DNA matched to all four of their markers. And so they started me on a drug, which is called to and to uh puts your, your, immu- your immune system on steroids and it, comes into your body and it attacks the cancer and it kills it and so essentially uh what was a golf ball size mass of cancer in my right lung disappeared and um we have had a little bit of a setback this has been almost three years now uh, and it appears that there's a very tiny uh, bb-sized uh spot of cancer in my right lung. And so during the session, I will have to um, miss a couple of days to go down to Denver uh, to have a M- MRI, a CT and blood work. And so um, it's just, it's just a really crazy thing that our medical science is that advanced. And the doctors that have helped me through this process and the nurses have, have been wonderful. <clears throat> and I don't know how much longer it will last. So, but I'm healthy. I look healthy you uh, do. and I work out. So I'm <laughs> breathing fine. Um But it, it's, it's kind of a, you know, you, you really don't know how you're going to respond the first time uh, since the University of Colorado is a medical training center for doctors and five of them came into my room and told me that I had cancer. And that was, mm. that was a tough day. We felt pretty sure for about 24 hours. And then finally we decided stop crying in your beer, pick up your ball and let's get going.
0: You know, from my interactions with you, Senator, you're one of the more upbeat people I know. And um, I think that if people were to visit with you, <laughs> They, you certainly don't carry that outwardly on your shoulder so we wish you the best of luck in your in your continued battle with that and uh, hope Thank things you. continue to go well, well actually my
5: next checkup will be um uh, <clears throat> march 25th actually and so i'll be off the floor for that day
0: all right well let's hope that you you get as good as news as you possibly can we're rooting for you you um You now work, you've had a long history in the Campbell County School District and and, um, from being a teacher to an administrator to a central office worker, and you now work with what is called the boccees of um, Campbell County, and uh, you were telling me off camera that you essentially work to support 7th through 14th grade folks, and you have been obviously very active in um, the movement to allow Gillette College its independence, if you will. Um, and we talked about that earlier in the session with you and Senator Beitman. Um That's a really important issue for you.
5: Well, you know, I, my very first year in the legislature, the senior delegate in our delegation was State Senator Mike Enzi. And Mike Enzi was a huge proponent of Gillette College being an independent community college system. And I've always thought that, um, Wyoming has sent its best legislators to the United States Senate. And Mike Kinsey is one of them. But Mike couldn't get the bill through. He couldn't pass it here in Gillette. And so for 30 years, we have wanted to have an opportunity to take that issue
0: on again. You have also been, in my eyes a little bit, surprisingly upbeat about Gillette's future. Um, you strongly believe that that the, the the county will survive and survive strongly. And um, give us a little bit of, of your enthusiasm here. Why do you think that things are going to work out okay? Because from the 30,000 foot view, you're right. You know, coal is not um, progressing as many Wyoming Knights had hoped, even just a, two or three years ago, for sure. And it has impacted Campbell County.
5: Well, you know, I always, as I had a number of economics classes in college and and how to judge the health of your overall economy. And when I look at Gillette, uh, I see a thriving community. I see about 700 students every two days going through the Gillette Technical Education Center, learning, earning degrees in diesel, uh, electricity, welding, computer science. And I see a birth rate in our community that was higher than last year. We are typically having between 650 to 700 babies a year. We have our sales tax, which last month went up 45%. We have possibly the hottest uh, housing uh, sales in the state. Uh,
0: People will be surprised by that, I think.
5: People are moving in because of the amenities that
0: that Gillette has. Well, Senator, we're we're so thankful for your time. Again, we wish you the absolute best of luck, not only with the session, with your health and with obviously the economy you're so concerned about in Campbell County. Thanks for joining us on this Capital Outlook Profile. Best wishes to you, Senator. Thank Thank you. And in our final segment of Capital Outlook, it's our pleasure to be joined by two members of the minority party in the Wyoming House of Representatives, Representative Andy Schwartz and Representative Mike Yin. Thank you both for joining us again on Capital Outlook. Thank you. I wanna start with your votes on the budget bill, the general fund budget bill, the supplemental budget. Uh, We have a yes vote and a no vote. Um, Let's start with you, um, Representative Yen. You chose not to support one of 10 votes, if I recall. Sure. that, That didn't support the budget that ultimately passed. Why?
2: Yeah, I think ultimately the cuts go a little too far than I'm comfortable with. And I think for me, the focus needs to be on how, how we balance it in both directions, right, in cuts and revenue. And if we only do cuts, it's not really one that I can support.
6: Representative Swartz? Well, partly my vote is based on my membership in the Appropriations Committee. And when you've worked on the, sub in this case, the supplemental budget since December, um, I felt personally invested in it to a certain extent, and I don't disagree that there were a lot of the cuts I thought were more than necessary. I thought we came to a reasonable outcome with which to now negotiate with the Senate, because ultimately we don't have a budget yet until we negotiate one. And
0: you talked about sustainability. And your no vote to me is maybe a vote that's not sustainable to the um, aspect that you thought there were too many cuts. But with the pragmatic view, there's not gonna be a lot more revenue. How is this budget gonna be sustainable then?
2: Sure, I mean, I, I think right now we have that rainy day fund, the LISRA, and as, as long as we have that, it, it's troubling to me that, that we aren't willing to look at revenue as long as we have the rainy day fund. Um, so I think for now, If we can maintain the budget we have with the Lesaro, that's what I'm comfortable with. We also have a fiscal challenge
0: in education. Both of you have spent the the one day that the session has been uh, been in session this week talking about that, as we talked about earlier in the show. What are your positions on the cuts that have been presented to the education on the House side and also the revenue options that have been placed out there on the House side? Representative Ian, let's go with you first here.
2: Sure, yeah. I mean, I think, I think um, the focus right now has been on the number and not what the outcomes of what we want education to be, right? And so if we, start, if we continue to focus on the number and just cut that number, we're going to go back to court to discuss what is an adequate education, when the focus should be, okay, we need to have this, this set of education goals and priorities, and then how do we fund those education goals and priorities? which we're not doing right now.
0: And then the revenue side of what has been um, offered up for the house from everything from revenue transfers to new taxes, et cetera. Where do you think the house needs to to land on a revenue piece in this session?
2: In this session we have, I mean, we have an offering in the bill right now, which is the 1% sales tax when the LISRO drops below a certain amount. Um, I think that is that's what is possibly passable this session. I think the conversation needs to move towards what, what is a, a real sustainable economic uh, tax plan for the state of Wyoming, which right now we don't have that. So I don't think we're gonna get it done this, in this session, um, but I do think that conversation needs to start moving forward as much as possible.
0: Representative Swartz, what were your thoughts after the education bill now is uh, before you now on third uh, reading.
6: I mean, fundamentally, I agree with my deskmate Mr. Yin, but um, I think we're looking at it in, in the wrong perspective because we are thinking in terms of a goal of how much we're gonna cut, whether it's 100 million is the number they just threw out. We need to cut 100 million. I don't know how that connects to providing an equitable and adequate education, which was what the Constitution calls for. I think we need to be looking at the model and finding out how that model can be adjusted to make sure we're still providing the good education, but maybe there are savings to be had. But fundamentally, I don't think the problem is what we're spending on education. I think the problem is the revenue streams. And I'm not really that happy about using sales tax as the, the mechanism to support it. I mean, to, just to begin with, as the state grows their sales tax percentage, it puts a, a burden on local governments because they rely on the, the, X, the fifth and sixth and even potentially seventh pennies to augment their revenue stream. And if the state does a sales tax, that much harder for the locals to do it. Unless so, the state
0: mandates that extra penny for locals, which right. has been talked about.
6: Yeah, but even still, that's one penny. Right. Um, I think we need to be looking at, at new revenue sources in the, statewide, both for the state and for local government. Sure, let's
0: talk about that because you both have offered a couple different revenue um, uh, sources. You've talked about a real estate transfer tax. For years. Yeah, and you have talked about a 4% state income tax. Why is it worthwhile to even have those discussions with this very conservative legislature, quite frankly? Representative Schwartz? Quite frankly, if
6: we don't talk about it, nobody will. And and I think that it needs to be heard that there are other alternatives to sales tax and property tax. We're, the state of Wyoming's locked in. I mean, if you saw our emails, people are, are convinced they're already paying too many taxes. and. I think we just need to make sure that there is an alternative conversation being held.
0: So your real estate transfer taxes, I understand it, would apply if counties chose to implement it, and, and that's a key there, if the voters chose to
6: implement it, on sales above a million bucks. Is that accurate? Um, more, It's up to any county could determine what the exclusion okay. is, because in Teton County, where the median price of a home is $3.7 million, you'd need an exclusion of a million dollars to make sure you're not punishing workforce housing. But in, in, in Laramie County, it wouldn't need to be that high.
0: Realtors have come out against that. What's your, what's your perception of why they oppose it? Oh, I won't speak to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Representative Yen, you've talked about a 4% income tax. Why do you believe that's a good idea?
2: Sure, yeah, I mean, I think I think the only way that you really get an equitable um, taxation scheme that's sustainable across the population is through an income tax. I think the four percent is is kind of a compromised position. Um, In previous years the Democrats have run a a tiered set of income tax rates, so it would have been zero percent for the first million and then um, another percentage for above that. Um, But I think ultimately the the conversation needs to happen on what the pros and cons of an income tax are and when you have this bill going forward we can have those conversations let alone the the topics where we can actually deduct property and sales tax from an income tax because we're required to the from the constitution and i think a lot of even legislators don't don't know that that's necessarily the case and they won't unless we bring up the conversation
6: and may i jump sure i'm actually presenting to the Revenue Committee today an unearned income tax bill which would tax capital Capital gains, gains. dividends and interest, but the base is $200,000 a year and under $200,000 you don't even file a return and the estimate on that is $60 million a year that I have dedicated to the School Foundation program. I don't expect it to pass, but once again, we need to have these conversations so people understand there are alternatives. Last topic I
0: want to talk about, um, representing Yin, and I'll start with you. You've worked very hard on the state's blockchain task force. Um, Wyoming is a leader um, in cryptocurrency laws and blockchain um, laws, and you're working on refining those even more in this session. One thing I don't understand is so will all other states just follow suit and then will, will there be will it be worthwhile to have done all this work in Wyoming? What's Wyoming's gain here? I still don't understand what Wyoming can gain from being the leader here. Sure. In these cryptocurrency
2: laws. Yeah, so I mean, I think I, I've tended to be pretty reluctant to go along with a lot of it, which is part of the reason that they put me on the committee in the first place, because one, I have the expertise in the computer science portion, and then two, um, I, I, I kind of held back the, a little bit I, I kind of reined in a little bit the primary mover of the initial blockchain task force um, and but going forward, I mean I think ultimately we do have that first mover advantage, so even though um, I, I've been a little hesitant towards it, I think the first mover advantage still brings some ec- economic benefit to the state, and the question is, is there a is there a negative uh, portion to the blockchain laws that we've passed that's That's one that I wanted to make sure that there was there hasn't been a negative. Um, And
0: that's what you believe so far. Am I correct about that? (laughs) Correct, yeah.
2: And so if there's a positive benefit that we can bring some business into the state, I'm all for it. I I do think ultimately, um, we still need to have that conversation about if we diversify the economy, but don't have a tax structure to support it, we still need to work on that. But I think with the blockchain stuff, we're doing fine so far, where it brings in positive benefits with not that much net negative benefit, right? And I also think that with the blockchain task force, if we can prove that there is positive benefit for blockchain, we can start pivoting towards other emerging tech industries um, where we can try to make some first moves there too.
0: And you talked about AI and autonomous vehicles and other things like that when we were talking off camera. Last word, Representative Schwartz, going forward here for the last half of the session, what's what's on top of your mind?
6: Uh, I mean, the two big issues are education and the budget. right? And we need, actually we don't need to. I mean, we might not have bills when we come out of this and that might not be the worst case scenario because then we have a budget. This is just a supplemental budget. So we just are ceding authority to the governor on that. And with education, we still have a block grant. We have a model um, if we can't come to agreement. I, that doesn't make me happy because I think it's our job to actually solve problems and the problems still exist, but not the worst case scenario.
0: Be interesting to see how this all plays out. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time, offering a minority perspective, which I believe is important. Representative thank, you very Schultz, much. American, thank you very much for joining us. And that's a wrap on this week's Capital Outlook. We'll be back next Friday. We
1: hope you'll join us then, thank you. This program is supported in part by a grant from the BNSF Railway Foundation, dedicated to improving the general welfare and quality of life in communities throughout the BNSF Railway service area. Proud to support Wyoming PBS.
2: This program was funded
1: in part by a grant from Newman's Own Foundation. Working to nourish the common good by
0: donating all profits from Newman's Own food and beverage products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. By a grant from AARP, serving the needs and providing real possibilities for the over 50 population
2: in Wyoming. AARP Wyoming, proud to support Wyoming PBS. Programming on Wyoming PBS is brought to you in part by Wyoming Humanities. Strengthening Wyoming democracy through the humanities for 50 years, thinkwy.org. Proud to support Wyoming PBS.